I want to say more than that, Daniel Amone. I'm going to give you this. This is how I'm going to start our episode of this podcast, sir. Well, you start every episode of this podcast. Let's be clear. But I'm going to start this episode with, well, 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 Daniel Amone's on the podcast as a guest, not just leading us in, not just taking us out, but I got you on the show and I will give everyone the background before we even start been trying to get you on the show as a full-on guest for years. We've talked about it several times. Sometimes it was just like a, yeah, totally, man, like a LA let's get lunch thing, and it just deteriorated. Other times we had plans, things changed. Other times we booked it, and it changed. I've been chasing you down, brother, for a long time. I'm really excited yeah. to talk to you today. Yeah, man, I'm 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 sorry it hasn't, stars haven't aligned until this moment, but, uh, uh, you know, the shit happens, but but uh, here we are, my man. Dude, I'm not even tripping. And I told Steven, uh, who's been working with me for uh, almost a year now, I told him, I said, just don't give up, baby. Just don't give up. <laughs> you know, you know that we live around the corner from each other. I do. And the minute, the minute, you know, I, I hope he uh, triangulates this, that the minute I saw him in our mutual hood at Kinship is the coffee place that I think we both frequent. I was like, dude, I need to figure this out with Rob. I before you, I'm gonna beat you to it right now. So <laughs> I appreciate so it, man. I had to drop but on him, fortunately for me. Normally we start with where are you from? And I want to get to all that, but I want to say I'm gonna start with this, or we already started, but I'm gonna start again with this. Um, thank you. Thank you, thank you, man. I have so much gratitude. I know it must have been kind of a weird thing back in what was it 2013 when I hit you up and I was like, can I use your music for the show? And you're like, what is it? And I tried to explain what it was because I still didn't know. And if I remember correctly, we made a like a handshake virtual deal where you were like, I've got to go back to the studio to get what you want. And if you'll pay for that, which was like a double digit number it was like, you can use it in perpetuity, which is such a, in your early twenties thing. <laughs> You're like, yeah. take it, I guess <laughs> I'll make more shit. And that is like how everyone yeah. in their twenties kind of is. Um, oh, but yeah. I ain't made millions off of this brother. You know, if I did, I'd be kicking you piece <laughs> of it. Um, <laughs> but I want to say thank you for it. Um, your album punk philosophy for those who maybe don't realize this, cause I used to say it all the time and now I kind of take it for granted that people know, cause it's been like nine years. Um, your album punk philosophy, which I think you put out in 2013, um, was huge for me, man, personally as an album. Like I, I, I heard it in my roommate Wiley's room and was like, that sounds like Daniel. And he was like, that is Daniel. I was like, what the hell? And I got the album. I started listening. And I fell in love with it. And Sorry, when this I, is our mutual Wiley, right? Yeah. Yeah. This course, is our okay. mutual shared Go Wiley, on. the community. Wiley. Sh- everyone needs a shared Wiley. Yeah. Yeah. He introduced me to the record. I somehow didn't realize that you'd put it out and he let me know. And I I got classmates and like friends all over the record. And I'm, I start listening to it. I I love it. It's a short record. It's, but it's so good. It's a lot of fun and it's kind of all over the place. And I was such a fan of your work and your music at school to see that you put a, a record out. I was so excited. And then when I started the podcast, for some reason, that banjo from prisoners in the inquisition just was like that 
that was the start of the show. I knew it as soon as I started the podcast. I was like, that's the beginning of it. If he'll let me do it. And then I kind of got your permission. And then I was like, can I use betrayal for the outro? But I kind of want to use the whole record all over the place. Is that okay? (laughs) And you were like, yeah, go ahead. And I really, I can't thank you enough because you and Max Stampa Brown both contributed to a lot of the music that was in the show in the beginning when it used to have a lot more music in it. And it was so great to be able to play with those tracks as scoring for people's stories. And now it really just lives on those two songs in and out. But I've changed a lot about the podcast over the years, man. A lot of stuff has changed in format and the way we put it out and all these, but two things have never changed. And that's the title and the music has always been you. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Of course, man. Yeah. Now you're, you're, you're taking me back to that time when I made it, which was, you know, we all, we, we, we all sort of come out of the gate from our school, like, like freaking pigs in a much bigger being emptied into a much bigger side. And, and like, I was feeling very uh, sort of empty in my, my first year at New York, basically the auditions were, um, <laughs> uh, w- were, uh, painful, <laughs> just painful, <laughs> painful being in audition rooms, painful waiting for auditions, painful, not having them. Um, and, and, I was like, I gotta make a make an album, or, or I don't know what I'll do. And and so so, I, you know, I had never done any anything music related professionally at that point. And I googled the recording studio, and um, uh, the recording studio that I ended up at had just dumped like a million dollars into Google Ads, and by by that, that's how they got I, you. Yeah, I, I met the producer, Vic uh, Miller. He's he's who I have mix and master all my stuff to this day. You know, wow. um, so so that that collaboration has 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 remained super. That's really super, cool. Um, it, like I just I know I don't think I've really knew that. I know we kind of briefly talked around the time, and I will drop. We talked about this before I started rolling, so I want to make sure I say it on here. You have a appeared on the podcast not visually because we didn't do that back then but you have been on as a guest in a small capacity not done a full episode uh back when i used to try to feature bands and music and that was part of the show uh you came on with the blue-eyed bettys so there is there was a time when you were were in and around it but this has been different at that time we talked about this a little bit but i'm now hearing a little bit more detail on why why punk philosophy got made and i kind of it kind of hits my heart, dude, because I feel like it's that synchronicity because that's where the podcast came from. It yeah, came yeah. from that feeling of being out of school and being like, like you had some stuff going, but there was, there was a hole that was there yeah, that was yeah. like, this is not something has to fill this up. And I don't even know. And we both chose things that we are like, and let's fill that hole with shit we honestly are underqualified to even try to do because we never done it before you know it was new and i think that that's what's really cool is in a way i mean the banjo helps with the north carolina part but it is the perfect it is the perfect anthem for the show because it it's both born out of that which of course then again is the notion of the podcast which is like after school now what like what the fuck do we do We all got this thing. Maybe promises were made. Maybe expectations Mm -hmm. were had, but now we're all out in it. What the fuck? 
do we do? Yeah. <laughs> what do we do now? Um, which seems to be what that album was kind of about and kind of what this podcast is about. So it's kind of cool that it lines up that way. Oh yeah. And, and you, uh, your descriptor of it being all over the place couldn't be more accurate. It's, it's me. I like every song I was like, Oh, maybe I'll try a, like a rock, like a rockabilly song. Maybe I'll yeah. try a, to, to see what happens when I just try to be queen. Maybe I'll see what happens when I try to be Led Zeppelin. It was like me, you know, being 21 years old and like trying everything out. And that's, that's, that's kind of, you know, when you make albums and, and you go back to them 10 years later, you, you, you really get such a, such a cool portrait of who you were at the time. And, that, and that's, that's, I think one of the reasons people make them, uh, though they may, may not realize it at the time, at the time they're like, Oh yeah, I'm making this so I can, so I can get a label or, 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 or uh, as a means to an move end. my career forward. But ultimately, um, all of that stuff might not come to pass. And what you have um, after you've made it uh, is, is a timestamp on your life uh, as, as an artist and as an interpreter of your life, you know? And I don't um, want to get overly sappy, but I think that sentiment cannot be hit hard enough, Daniel, which is like, even when you're underqualified, just keep making shit. Like it sounds super cliche, but I think that just as an artist lesson, and it can be so hard, right? Because we were both in a place, I think at that time in our lives, which were like different ages uh, by a little bit. You're, we're about the same age, right? Where you were you born? Uh, 90. Yeah, 88. So we're like the same age. So we're both Maybe. like in that mid, early 20s-ish age and trying to figure out where we fit into how things are right now. And that's, I think, the big question that you're really asking yourself as an artist coming out of training, which is like, okay, now maybe you have skill sets, maybe you have thoughts, maybe you have opinions, but where do you go with it? Where I'm holding these this luggage and I'm like, which plane do I get on? You know? Mm-hmm. And I love your approach. And, and it seems like you don't you don't have any regrets about doing it, which is like, just get on a bunch of planes, man. Just get mm-hmm. on as many as you can, try them out, yeah. see if it fits, rather than like stall trying to figure out which one you should get on or just d- getting on one whether or not you think it's the right idea or you know there just just have that willingness to like try it be like oh no next thing mm-hmm. oh this is kind of cool but maybe you know you seem to have had that mentality for yeah i, I think school. there's no better i think there's no better advice for a young person who wants to to have a career in the arts or, or, or just have a practice, an artistic practice. Um, it is, I think, uh, right around when I released that album or, or when I was making it, um, I think me and, and my buddy Ari is my classmate. Um, we're like obsessed with, we're obsessed with, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman at the mm-hmm. time. Um, I don't know if he was still with us, but uh, at the time it might, we might've dived into him because he had died, but uh, we were like, got, you know, watching every interview that he gave. And one of them really stuck with both of us, I think, which was um, him saying like, as, as a message to young actors or as a advice to young actors is, is just don't say no to any single opportunity at this point in your life don't even worry about career just at this point in your life um you have nothing to lose from trying uh everything you can and i think uh it equally applies to to music and you know in in the no man's land of these kinds of 
uh, undertakings. Right. For sure. Okay. Well, I got a, I got obligatory. I got to back up a little bit because I love talking now with you, but part of the podcast, the only structure of it is, uh, Daniel Imone, Henry with an I, where are you from? Uh, where am I from, man? I guess I'm from New York. You know, I was born in Chicago. I, I lived in um, San Francisco and Canada and uh, and North Carolina, but really, really spent most of my life in New York. How does that timeline kind of work out? We don't have to get into like exact dates and stuff, but as far as like quantity, were you moving a lot around when you were very young and then kind of settled in New York? Is that why you say that? Or like, what, how much time are you spending in each of those places? And then of course, you I know, think, my follow-up is yeah. going to be like, why are you moving so much? Yeah. So, so my dad is a surgeon and was moving around to a lot of different um, hospitals and in, in, in Chicago and then, and then California and and then uh, finally Columbia in New York. Um, and it. I was, I, I think I was, you know, we were jumping around, especially when I was from you know, when I was born until I was like nine and then age of nine to 19, we lived in Scarsdale, New York, which was, um, just, just under an hour from the city. Yeah. And suburb point, basically. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, in Westchester. And, uh, um, at that point, my, my mom was taking me to, my mom is a painter and a playwright, long time, just creative person. And she, became obsessed with theater the minute we we arrived and she took me i still remember because you, you're from north carolina originally no um what where are you from <laughs> i'm Damn, from texas I, i'm OG. sorry man no you're good um, i here's the thing when you probably moved to north carolina for college i was if i remember correctly um I was living in Winston because I was waiting to get like in-state tuition. So I moved to school and then like became a townie for like a year and a half. Then I joined DMP. Then I joined drama. So you being confused about where I'm from is very forgivable. That makes sense. I think I knew, or I was under the impression that you were in-state and so, um, which yeah, is, well, I worked way, hard a, to be <laughs> a very, uh, very resourceful, smart I fooled the state and you, which is what matters. Um, yeah, so uh, fool me it, once. You but, were uh, saying, but yeah, my, uh, why did I ask? Oh, yeah, because I was like, do you remember the first time you were in Manhattan? I very clearly remember the first time I, I was in New York City, and I was just like, I was like six years old, um, and the buildings just. I mean, you know, yeah. everyone who's visited New York for the first time has that experience, I think. Um, right. What, what a what a crazy place that we live in. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, my mom took me to two plays a week from the age of nine to 19. So I, I, I very much for Whoa. so much so much of my life, I took for granted just how much theater I was just being immersed in. And, and it's clearly had a tremendous impact. Can I ask a question? I don't know how many times I've ever asked this, but I'm just curious about it because of the combination. So you said mom's like kind of lifelong creative painter, playwright. She's taking you to theater, all this stuff. It's very, very creative. It's very, you know, right side of the brain. And dad is like a a surgeon, like a surgeon people want at their hospital because he keeps moving and shit. So like, how do your parents meet? And how does that develop? And then they sustain this very left brain, right brain relationship. Are they still together? 
They are. My 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 parents met at uh, an art class. Obviously, it made sense for my mom to be in an art class. I don't know why my dad decided to take an art class uh, at the University of Chicago. Uh, okay, and and you know, so my, my he dad... dipped his toes into her world, and that's how the connection Indeed. got made. Well, yeah, and you know, to be fair, my my dad is um he's he's a uh, he's a liver surgeon, and he's mm. um one of the foremost liver surgeons at Columbia. He's an extremely he's got a deep creativity to him that's led him to like making all these innovations and in, in transplant ah. surgery um but he's he's uh also like a musician and uh, you know he he's had a gibson guitar that's over there since you know it's like a from the 1950s that instrument um oh yeah uh uh he's had it you know he's he's been playing robert johnson and 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 muddy waters you know since he was in college where's um, dad from He's he's uh, he's Quebecois, but he's um, he was born in Venezuela, very, very randomly. Oh, um, because okay. my my grandfather was a miner and where did he grow uh, up? Mining, not a M I N O R, but right. a yeah, miner. I got it. <laughs> in, <laughs> yes. uh, in in Venezuela at the time when he was born, he grew up in Canada, in, got in it. Mon okay. Montreal. This and I get into all these origins just because I find it. Um, I find these paths very interesting and in how people end up where they are. I think that's really that might be one of the main things this show's about. Um, and that's kind of why I've never written questions for it because I want to let the show tell me what it's about. And I think it's. I think I this is this is what's cool about this conversation we're having right now that I'm very excited about. We went to school almost exactly at the same time. More so maybe even than some of my own class because you were above me, but I was also there before you by like a smidgen. Yeah. So like we were really there at like the same fucking time in a really uh, overlapping way. We did some projects together. I can really only think of a couple off the top of my head. I know we're like Harper's Ferry, I think was one of the things we both did. Funny. And maybe I didn't do Harper's Ferry. I was I was frolicking. You weren't with... in that? like a stable of, 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 of maybe 50 other, uh, fit, strong, strapping young people from the theater and, and dra drama and dance, uh, in a show called Oklahoma. <laughs> Oklahoma was, and Harper's Ferry were not done at the same time. Were I think we'll have to go to the books on this. I believe they were. I believe Very they were in the same season because I know that because my mm. buddy Andrew Wells, Andrew Wells writer was almost, <laughs> was almost Judd maybe, but instead he was like one of the villains, the Southern villains in uh, Harper's Ferry. Ah, yeah. I guess I would have to go back and double check, um, but you might be right. Either way, I think we had to have done something. because actually, I feel don't, like... Maybe don't include that part in the interview because I'm not positive <laughs> if what I said is I, I do not give my seal of truth to that. I'm not. I might be. Hey, that. first of all, if anyone's checking your official record for why things got cast or didn't or maybe did <laughs> another thing, I think they can go searching somewhere else. Uh, it was Great. also over a decade ago. So if anyone has a problem with it, yeah. uh, let's I'll just focus put it on out the there now. That. I'll put it out there that that uh, I'm I'm happy to hear Oklahoma isn't ringing like any terrible bells for you because it was I definitely blacked out blocked out a lot of that experience. Oklahoma was a freaking disaster. Well, the whole me. school was falling apart because our dean almost died. So like it's a pretty reasonable um, 
<laughs> excuse for a nightmarish situation. Um, yep. And so, okay. So then let me back up again a little bit. Cause I want to get, I want to get to school from Scarsdale in the city and seeing all the theater and stuff. This has always been one of my big questions for you because I think you're a talented actor, but you are clearly a very talented musician while we were at school. I, and I, and I, this comes back to the point I was just making a second ago, which is like, we went to school almost the exact same time. I feel like we were at least very, if not working together, very aware of what the other person was doing artistically because we were watching it. And I feel like I, I know you so little, even in comparison to other people that I spent just as much time around. You strike me as a slightly, if not a more so introverted person. You can correct me if that's not right. But I feel like in all the time I spent around you, you were quieter. And I was trying to figure out who you were in a way. But we didn't know it had that much time. And what I'm getting to is, I think it's very interesting how people end up where they are. And in your case, we're talking about a lot of movement and then it kind of settles in New York and it you've got a lot of art and creativity in the family. You clearly develop a strong skill set in music, but you're also attracted to theater. What leads to the choice to pursue one over the other? I mean, you've got more than enough, I would think, on your plate to make music your thing. And you didn't even pick like a musical theater program at the end of the day. Uh, it was very much an acting program with some music in it. And I'm fascinated why the kid who I would constantly find playing the piano in the rehearsal hall by himself picked acting school. Why that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I believe that I've, you know, I've I've found a way in my adult life to marry the two by writing musicals, right? I'm, I'm, well, fuck, I'm yeah. so my life is fully fully in. I have a I have a foot in theater and a foot in music all the yeah. time now, which is is a dream come true for me. Uh, Where but, you belong, but, if I my unsolicited opinion, because you yeah, have so, the talent in both. I want to make that clear in the question. I'm not trying to say like, you. hey, no, kid, no, no, you should have done that because you no, suck no, no, at no. this. That's not the point. <laughs> um, no, I, I definitely felt a. Uh, 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 um, a conflict for mm. for a lot of my life, and I would say it started with, you know, me doing musicals uh, in high school because that's what you did in high school. Sure, you know, that's the, what they have like, to do. Like, like four people came to the place, right? The 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 spring place. Everyone came to the fall musical, you know. Um, uh, um, and. I did the musicals and, and sort of simultaneously discovered that I could sing um, mm. at this around the same time I was. Um, and I started just like, you know, I did, <laughs> did Brigadoon with Johnny Price. I did uh, The Boyfriend with Johnny Price. We went to the same school. I did. Uh, <laughs> Impressive if you didn't. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, then I did Curly, Oklahoma. Uh, and then I did uh, how to succeed. Anyways, I so I so I did all these musicals in high school. Did did like summer, you know, theater camp at, at you know they call it a theater program, but it's theater camp, right? Uh, right. At uh, um, a pro program called Cherubs Cherubs at Northwestern University, 
Um, sorry, I'm just silencing my phone. Uh, and okay. and then um, uh, then it came time to 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 like figure out what I wanted to do after high school, and I knew that I wanted to go to a conservatory. I knew that I wanted. I knew that I was an artist. I knew that I was a performer. Um, but but it was it came. I I I got a, a full scholarship to a musical theater program. What was it? I think it was uh not Syracuse was it Syracuse uh one of those programs got it um uh, and for, for my my ex-girlfriend was there so that was maybe a factor in me not going there um <laughs> but also North Carolina you know our, our school was was very esteemed at the time and remained so but but um uh I I had a strange I had growing in me a strange love hate relationship with musical theater that continues to like be alive in me today i definitely right. like i hate the the mawkishness i hate the sentimentality i hate the sound of of most 75 percent musicals i can't stand the, the actual music which is what it, a, what a about pretty, it turns you off uh it, it sounds disney everything sounds dis disneyfied obviously there's like the the broadway kind of sound is 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 a subset of, of musical theater um but it's it's only it's only gotten worse and put me more off from the sound as time's gone on um, i'm very interested back, in this like as an amateur what how would you describe to someone what makes something sound disney or disney-fied like what yeah. what about the music makes it like if you if you notice these qualities that's what i'm talking about um it, it you know it, it's a, it's a few things it's it's it is this the singing style goes into it so that's how it's right. interpreted um a lot of the like chord structures yeah we can get a little a, music nerdy i'm okay with that I, I wish i i wish i had a piano in here it's like every chord mm. is a ninth ninth okay uh, in it bum 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 got it oh uh, like Wait, that's the I'm, what I, I'm. I'm like, like trying to sing an example of it. Like, take you know, take uh, for example, um, five hundred twenty-five thousand six hundred minutes. There's no way that that song's not like cheesy. Like, it's right. incredibly cheesy. Yeah, I think we all agree me. with that. And maybe part of it is that this is the first note you hear, which is the ninth. Hmm. Or no, it's not the ninth. It's actually the sixth. It's the ninth of the the four four chord. Anyways, right. Um, there's a lot of contributing factors that make something that gives something the musical theater sound uh, mm. that I associate with sort of uh, a bit of like a cheese. Um, and it's and it's a sound that's like put me off. And yet I keep coming back to doing musicals. I keep coming right. back to it. I am like still a musical theater like baby. At the same yeah. time, because I think what makes what what draws me to it is ultimately that I I do think there's a magic to it. I think it is an art for the people. And I think mm -hmm. it's a a way that we as humans we put together storytelling and and myth. Right? It is a musical is the modern myth. Um. Um, with music, which is the universal language, so you have storytelling right. and music together in in the best way possible. Um, however, I I just don't. I, yeah, I, I I would have to like think more, investigate more on what what is made the sound of musicals 
the, and the, the only reason I push you on it is because I I always do that when it comes to um, aversion. Like anytime someone tells me that there's this whole group of things that kind of put them off, as someone who's studied art, I just go to like fascinating. What is it? Like, let's get into details. And then later, I often am like, when I make stuff, I'm like, well, we got to keep in mind, some people are put off by blah, 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 blah. And we we mention that specifically. And I, I always love getting into that details. A lot of times it ends up being a question you haven't asked yourself because it's so easy to take for granted. It's like, I don't like this music. The next level of that is because it sounds like Disney or because it sounds like this other group of things. And you can usually stop there because other people are like, word, I get that. I, you don't have to say anymore. I understand that. So you don't even necessarily dive into the exact detail of why it's that way. And I think Gerald kind of taught me to never keep, never stop diving deeper into, but why is that? make you feel a thing because of a piece of art. Um so I'm just I'm I'm not disappointed by your answer. I find it uh I think I, I think I'm with you. And I agree also. And this is something I wanted to talk to you about. I did think of this a little bit ahead of time. Cuz I know you've had this very interesting relationship with musical theater. And I have too because like you man, I grew up doing them in high school because it's what the fuck you do. And I've never been a singer and I'm barely a musician. I've played percussion since I was like in 5th grade. Um and I've been in a few bands and stuff, but I've never been any fucking good. And I've never been knowledgeable because I do everything on impulse and feeling and I've never studied music in any consistent way. Uh I barely got through trying to learn the idea of sight reading from Greg Walter. Like that's how far my music ability goes. And I have almost married one and ended up did marrying another classical singer who like has studied music their whole fucking life and they get it. So I kind of get to lean on that as a crutch. Like explain this thing to me about minor chords. I don't know. Um, you're reminding me. <laughs> nice to have around. Speaking of leaning on a crutch, you're reminding me of um when we did 1776 um, yeah i remember that uh i don't want to i don't want to call anybody out so i'm not going to say names but but like um a guy in 1776 very funny hilarious guy we may you may already know who i'm talking about um not the the, the not really like the world's most confident singer just like leading right. so far next to like one of the strong singers you know um, as we're learning the music, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's just, I'm just reminded of, you know, using, using your, your, your partner as a crutch. Yeah. Um, yeah. And sometimes you got to do that when it comes to strengths. Um, yeah. for me with musicals, and this is, this is my kind of love hate relationship. I remember one time I said in front of Brandon Harris, who we both know, he was like, uh, I, I said something like, yeah, I don't really care for musicals. It's not really my thing. And she, and he was like, you say that, but you are kind of obsessed with every musical you've ever worked on. And he's right. Once I work on a production of something, I, I love it forever. Like I'm like, I, I, I've never been someone who can listen to a soundtrack from a musical before I see it. I'm not interested in that. I usually won't do that, even if someone suggests it to me, because I'm such a visual person. I don't want to do that much visual imagining in my brain. I want okay. you to show me some stuff with this. And that's how I want to take it in, because I also don't want to finally see that 
and have all these things I made up in my head and have that conflict with a show. I want to encounter a musical visually first if I can, which is hard to do because that takes a shitload of people and money usually. Um, so there's a lot of musicals out there that I've heard pieces of or people have told me I would like and I'm never, I don't know them at all because I just, okay. I haven't had a chance to see them yet. And once I work on something, I be, kind of become obsessed with it. Um, oh, Edwin Drood. That's one of the things we worked on together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I That to this day is one of my favorite musicals ever because it 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 <clears throat> plays all these weird games and breaks all these rules and like... It's so much fun. And it's so much fun to be in or at. It's a, it's it. just a great fun play. And I love that this dude made one musical ever, swept the Tonys and <laughs> went home. And like anytime someone does that shit, I'm like, the ball's on this guy. Rupert Holmes. Back to man. Pina Coladas for me. <laughs> yeah, even that. He don't have a bunch of hit songs and he didn't try. He made yeah. like that one hit song and a little bit of pop I wonder, music. Uh, yeah. He's probably got a really good uh, accountant. I'm sure he's I'm sure he's sitting pretty but uh well I think that I'm and I think he also I, and I I didn't know this until later and I think back to that musical and that dude a lot because I think it's like I'm kind of like that I don't love doing stuff over and over and over again I'm more like I want to do it and then I kind of like okay cool I did that and I want to move on to something a little bit different yeah. um but I mentioned that as an example because I still will like pop open the Edwin Drood soundtrack, the like Broadway one or whatever, and just listen to it for fun in the morning as I'm getting yeah. ready. And I don't listen to musicals and there's something about it where it's like, but once I work on it and I listen to like you and like John Lang's talk about why your character is doing the thing. And then I finally see you sing it and you hit that note and hold it and the, the orchestra and, ah, and I feel it in my fucking heart. It's there forever. But I can't make that connection over okay. my AirPods and a a link. Yeah, no, no, a great uh, recording. Musicals are are are, as I said, uh, an art for the people and uh, um and a live art, and they're they're not really made for the you know for listening while you're on your run or, or on your or you're on your commute, right? But right, but it's been a more um, it, it's been more a more more of a thing lately in the last right. let's say ten years. The the musical album Hades Town, of course, was a concept album that 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 has a huge cult following. People love this album. Um, Be more chill. Also, like really like ha uh, had a very successful. You know, there was a minute when everybody was album. listening to Hamilton as they walked around the world. Like yeah, that was oh my a God. thing. Like, I was listening to it last night. It's, yeah, it's, and I uh, still haven't Hamilton. seen the fucking thing, and so I've never heard it. Neither have I. I've never Just seen the opening it, but, song. But uh, but it's <laughs> it's you know it's it's it, it, these these shows. I'd say Hamilton is it really redefined musical theater. It was the first show since maybe Rent to like redefine the form, and 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 unfortunately, we're not seeing enough of of that happening. You know, as I said, I. I, I I don't like about seventy five percent of musicals, which means there's like a great deal of musicals that I do love. I, South Pacific is my favorite musical, which is South Pacific. If, if you're not familiar, it's the other one. I would say the other uh, great masterpiece by Rogers and Hammerstein, Rogers and, yeah. Oklahoma. Right. Um, uh, South people like o Oklahoma or South Pacific. I find South Pacific to be 
their true masterpiece. Um, mm. I love the great comp Natasha Pierre and the great comet, which is the show that I worked on. Um, it went to Broadway with Josh Groban. Um, I, I find that show to be that that's what really got me into composing and writing, writing my own musicals. Um, uh, that, that show is, is such a beautiful, um, stylistic tapestry, you know, the way it goes through, it, it plods through so many different genres because every character sings uh, in a very different way. You know, the character who's the Sonia, who's the best friend is a folk singer. You have, um, Helene, who's, who's the kind of like, uh, she, she's like a, um, a sultry jazz singer. So every character brings their completely unique energy to the score, mm. which is something that I don't experience hardly ever with so many of these, yeah. the musicals that I'm talking about where everything sounds kind of blandly, generally like contemporary pop musical theater. Everyone sounds kind of the same. Um, that, that's what I, I'm, I, I want the form to get away from also jukebox musicals. We, 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 we've got enough for the next, nine million years um jukebox musicals that are just meaning where they together. take like a a discography from a famous yeah. pop artist and then they make a musical mamma mia. exactly when mamma mia came out it was it was ingenious it was like sure brand new way of like of of inventing the form taking uh, a famous songwriter's ip and jamming it with uh, putting it together with a story but now people are just taking the ip of uh, any any famous songwriter and jamming it with a famous movie franchise and suddenly you've got it right. you know um and that's just happening like too much for for my taste i think we need new stories and 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 new properties and new songs to be filling the broadway spaces and they're not right now sadly um, you know what's crazy is that we've always had this problem with the the battle between commercialism and artistry right where the people who have all the money have all the money and the artists are like, you should give us some of the money so that we can make some art and then you'll you'll have more money and, and we'll have money. And they're like, okay, cool. Uh, can you make a art that will definitely make money? And we're like, well, no, because that's not how art works. Sometimes it's like, we hope so. We're going to try to do that, but we can't guarantee it, of course, because it's based on people's subjective taste. Hello, what a stupid question. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, okay, well, then we're afraid to give you money unless you can kind of show us that it's definitely going to pay back. And that we and that's a fair conversation. I mean, that's business, and you're going to have to go back and forth and balance that forever. That's what the strikes are kind of about right now, among many other things. And right. I, I think the, I think that relationship is so curious because I feel like people don't pay attention to history. They don't pay attention to how things track in a realistic way, and they kind of look at it as dumber than they are which by which i mean to say constantly people will say in hollywood or music or whatever oh we can't do that because no one will like it and then we just don't try and that happens over and over again forever and if you want to find that thing you got to go find some amateur who's barely scraping by who's trying the thing because no one with money will give that a shot then something mm -hmm. squeaks by where that shot is given and it almost always crushes, if not only because people are like, hey, something new and different. That's cool. And we get excited about everything everywhere all at once. And we're like, oh, I didn't know you can make yeah. movies like that. Like, yeah, you can. When people oh, who know have known for so Where's long that that, that would work. See, that, 
that would be a musical. That would be a musical worth right composing for. I would. Fuck I would, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I just think that would be such make such a cool musical. And I want well, to. It, it would be. And you feel inspired. <laughs> you feel inspired as an artist because it, they did take a chance and it was great. And it, it's just such a shame that I think in this balance, it's a shame that artists are always trying to always having to convince the commercial side of things that the chances are almost always worth the investment. As long as you don't go too hard on a new thing, give it a shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I think the producers today are, they're looking for low risk and getting low reward, which is what we're seeing. Um, Mm -hmm. If you remember, you know, like if you, look at like what Hamilton was 15 years ago. I mean, there's a hilarious clip on the daily show of Jon Stewart laughing his ass off at, at this guy um, who's like at a slam poetry event rapping as Alexander Hamilton. And he's just like laughing. (laughs) He's like, what is he doing? Um, Right. And not, you know, Jon Stewart is one of the more prescient kind of, visionaries among us and the fact that john stewart was like what is he doing and now it's it's like right. we, you know those producers producers today like like everyone no one has the benefit of the bird's eye view or the rear view mirror to look back right. on a just show that's brand new to be like this is going to change the game this is going to change right. the form um and that's i think what makes musical theater such a um such a uh, uh, brutal and 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 hard, you know. If you're getting into it as either a creator, you just have to know one in about a thousand musicals are Hamilton, and right. as a producer, one in a thousand musicals are Hamilton. So, you know, right. the, 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 the you you have to enter this sort of war zone of of getting your your shit produced, knowing knowing those odds are quite, quite against you. Right. Um, but I think but, the point that I'm just putting that in context, cause I agree with you is that those odds scale in either direction when you take risks on what those thousand musicals are. And it's like, if you, if you only, if you only green light the ones that look like those safe poppy jukebox things that you know people will show up to because they recognize an ip that that makes them feel good uh which they you know i i really don't have a problem with that but it's like you gotta do that along with the other shit you have to and you should be through your practices showing young artists and new artists or not even young people who are experimental and want to try things you should show them that that pays off that if they get a good enough new weird idea that you will give it a shot. And I feel like you got to get a scream it. You got to beg to get that shot, which it's like, you should, I don't, I don't know that you should always have to, it should be hard to be the one that gets through, but the idea that getting through shouldn't happen more often, I think is just silly and that people are scared. And I know because I make TV shows that air on network and cable television and I work with networks who are not the creative people. They're the commercial side. And they're the people who are like, one of the biggest complaints that I have, and maybe I'm wrong, Daniel, you tell me this because you make things that people see in person. I make things that people watch way later. I think that people who make stuff, and I take this all the way to like from directors to like producers 
television networks, film executives, man, they think people are stupid. They worry, they worry people won't get it. They worry that it'll go over their heads. And my inclination is always like, yeah, but the substance is there. So make it and then it'll be for the people that get it. That's what that's for. Yeah. And I think their imagination is, yeah, but we should be trying to get as many people as possible. I'm like, yeah, but if you dumb it all the way down to the lowest common denominator, it, the odds of it impressing then the other people on the end of the spectrum goes way down. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely, you, you know, you're, you're, you're banging on all cylinders. You know, I, I, I don't really know anything basically about how the film and TV world works. Sure. I, that being said, I, I'm, I'm very interested, and I've, I, I've been writing new material that I, I, I dream of like a musical, um, series or a musical, mm -hmm. like not, 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 um, Glee or, or. Uh, What's the show? What's the other one? Yeah, what, the Smash. Uh, Wesley from our school. Yeah, it's called Smash. Uh, it Smash. Um, like, so. like, like, yeah, so something, something new and kind of like more indie, but like you're hearing mm -hmm. awesome songs, awesome weird song, right? So, like, so, so, so that's definitely something I'm interested in. But, 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 you know, I, I, I do st the strikes, notwithstanding, because and I don't know. I think it really the strikes are incidental into the point I'm making. Would, but but it, but it is crazy that for like basically the first time um where, where it's uh, you you've always been told you're doing theater why aren't you doing like tv film that's where the money is for the first right. time you have tv and film people flooding auditions for theater right which is i'm like what and trying to make reality on? tv shows so that they can do unscripted oh boy. shit i've heard that that's wild but 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 i i am constantly as i think so many theater people are or making musicals in this time where, as I say, it's, it's kind of, kind of a, a wasteland for like new musical theater. You know, we are mm -hmm. living in a time where, where there's just countless new brilliantly told stories that you can enjoy on your screen, on every screen. Right. Um, so, so musical theater has always, has recently had that theater. I don't say theater because plays um, are generally like awesome. Uh, continue to be mm. awesome. They've always been awesome, but they don't have the burden of 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 monetization on their on them in the way that Broadway musical does, because the Broadway musical pays for the plays. Um, uh, in in sort of the it's a sort of the that's the business model where yeah, and the overall with. the overall. So, so 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 musicals are suffering from that common denominator problem. Right. Um. You, what you're making is too smart. It's too intellectual. It's too cerebral. It's too um, elaborate. It's too intricate. It's too busy. It's you know. It, it's there's too much too art much. there. There's, you're tr you're trying to say too much, right? Rather than um. So you know, I won't lie. I'm I'm saddened to hear that you have experienced that as well on, on your end. You know. I think anytime you're trying to make money, that's going to be a factor to some degree. But I just think it's like, because you have sh like, okay, so you have, let, let's compare like two things that are kind of both out of our wheelhouse that neither of us would probably ever make, which is like a sitcom. Okay. You have a sitcom like. You, you, you don't have a sitcom in you? <laughs> hey, we'll see. Right now I don't make them. Uh, but, but we're both familiar with the format and we're both, you know, about the same age. So we can maybe get these references, but you take something like, um, 
The Office, all right? The Office started around the same time, just after Arrested Development. One was on Fox, one was on NBC. One was based on another show, one wasn't. But they both had a very similar shoot style. They're both that kind of reality TV style, uh, zoom in, zoom out, documentary, mockumentary thing. And one of them is far more obvious. The office is just in your face. Like, there's not much to overthink. They tell you exactly what they're dealing with. And half of the jokes are in silence, like as they give a weird look or things get awkward. And Arrested Development is written like, I don't want to give it too much credit because it's a TV show, uh, but it's written more like classical text. It's written more like a Shakespeare. It's dense. It has jokes in it that are like puns based on two acts ago. And like, you got to watch it kind of a few times, the first few seasons of that show to get what the, like all of the stuff that's in there. And on its surface, it's pretty funny, but it densely, it's very funny. That show made it barely three seasons and got canceled. Some of that was it was on Fox, yeah. but some of it supports the argument against what we're saying, which is like it was kind of too smart. People weren't clicking with it or it wasn't sold to the right people or however you want to look at it. And then you get a show like The Office, which kind of took what the British version did and very much Americanized it and changed a few things. And then became what a lot of people consider one of the best sitcoms of all time. And it wasn't arguably super duper different from this other show that kind of ate shit. And yeah. it's tough because I would rather, in some ways, I would rather make Arrested Development, even though I love both of them. I might even like The Office more. But I, I would rather make the dense thing that only so many people appreciate. And just take Dude. whatever comes with that. And I feel that way yeah. about all my art. I'm like, I ah, nah, I don't want to make it I'm easier. A... I don't want to make it more accessible. Yeah, I don't think I can objectively speak to this because I was always arrested development team if if we had to choose. I got into the office much later, but I I just I think that I'm diehard big genius. fan of both. Let's not get it twisted. Oh, yeah, um yeah, yeah. die hard, die hard. But I'm I'm so obsessed with those. I'm sure you've seen those uh the the office audition tapes of other yeah going around just imagining Seth Rogen as Dwight. And I say yeah, this as or a Judah love, Friedlander. Uh, just yeah. love, I love everything Seth Rogen touches, but I'm just like, <laughs> that would be the weirdest Dwight in the, yeah. Anyways. There's a um, bunch of those. And I think that that's also, you know, a lot of that, you know, the thing that, that this is big about the office that I just always point out not to get too specific or go off on a tangent, but the thing that I love about that and a lot of people maybe don't know is they really only made one choice uh, other than not to follow the British model of let's do a certain number of seasons and quit because that's how they make TV over there. But right. they made a, a distinct choice with Michael Scott versus David Brent, so Steve Carell versus Ricky Gervais's character, of once we get away from the British version that we're copying, literally like shot for shot, word for word, once we start making our own stuff, we have this, and I think Greg Daniels and a few different people have this goal, which was like, Michael, while he's horrible in all these different ways, will will always kind of have a redeeming moment where you realize like, oh, he's a, he's like a good guy in there. And I and that made all the difference and made it into this show that could like run for all these seasons really until Steve left. And I think that that is uh, that's just an artistic storytelling lesson that I always 
appreciate, which is like if you build a villain or if you build an anti-hero, you gotta keep him, you gotta keep him there where people still think he could be a good guy. He could come around one day. He could learn his lesson. And if you give him that little tease, then they want to watch the next episode because they want to see if he gets it figured out, even if they subconsciously know he never will. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I like I like framing Steve correct uh Michael Scott. I almost said Michael Bluth. I love yeah, right? framing Michael Scott in, in in within the sort of storytelling and a storytelling lens is the villain of of the show and, and like a true like a true full villain that that has moments of redemption is there's there's nothing cooler and in the you know in in the office model which is obviously broad comedy um it's uh yeah it, it's essential to have um those kinds of moments uh it's reminding me of um uh uh, I, I, I watch one of the YouTubers I follow. He breaks down Disney. I, I love Disney. What can I say? Even though I, I don't like the Disney sound today. Right, and right, it's, right. It, it's how it, it's interaction with musical theater, but the Disney movie musicals of the nineties, yeah. uh, there's a movie called a goofy movie. <laughs> a goofy movie is up. one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah. Mine too. Uh, which I have to bring up because, um, the you the youtuber that I, I forget his name but he he breaks down what makes it such a successful musical film um is is the framing of max goof as the protagonist and actually like goofy you know the the, exactly. the, the goofy that we all love as technically the villain because he is he, everything he's doing in the story is 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 the antagonist more more accurately right but, um and like he like uh, YouTuber, I'm just keep calling him YouTuber. Breaks it down, um, like with all the Disney movies. Like every successful Disney movie, there's a villain song that is unforgettable. You know, it happens. Ursula has right. one, and Little Mermaid, and um, Scar has one. Of the has Lion one King. Of yeah, exactly. Um, but 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 the Goofy has like so it's the song when they're driving. Like that's his yeah. villain song that establishes, creates the obstacle. All these things. Um, and that's, uh, I, I like, I like framing someone as the villain that you would normally. Have you heard the thing about, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off? You're a fan of that movie? I love that movie. I haven't seen it in like 10 years. But... One of the things that I, someone recently pointed out that I noticed, um, as I went back and thought about it, I was like, man, that's so true. And that is what makes it so great. Normally when you have a, a story your hero, your main character, your protagonist is the one that goes through this big emotional journey and they start in this one place and by the end, they're a new person. They've gone through this transformation. I mean, that's so many of the stories. That's the hero cycle. And it happens in that movie, but it happens to Cameron. Ferris is the same guy at the beginning and the end of the movie. Right, right, right. And even though he's the protagonist, his face is on the poster, his name is in the damn title. It's really Cameron's story of of change, of growth, of reevaluation. I mean, he damn near commits suicide in the last act of the movie and like has to get pulled out of the water and like reassesses his whole life. Whereas in the beginning, Ferris is like, life is easy. And at the end, he's like, life is easy. You should take your time and enjoy it. (laughs) Like he's the same dude. And he tells Uh. us the story that really is about Cameron. 
And, and I think it, it, it comes back to the reason I even bring it up right now is because I think we're both kind of fascinated with like, can we take the format that you've done over and over again that you've proved works? Can we take that for granted as artists and do something on top of that or take it in another direction or, or now what, instead of like, how do we make the next one? Does that right. resonate with you? Completely. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. Everything we've been talking about as soon as producers have evidential proof that something works, then they want to do it. And they want to, then they want carbon copies of a million more. They're right. like, Oh, that works. Let's make a million of them rather than we're not sure if this works, but it's something we, no one's ever seen before. And it, you know, um, yeah, yeah, Ferris Bueller was totally that. Uh, but I, I love the idea of the flat arc, you know, of the, um, you know, uh, Ferris is a flat arc. He doesn't change for his yeah. Cameron goes through this change. Um, and I think it can work. It can be so successful. I'm writing a Moby Dick musical. A Ca Captain Ahab uh, for, for hundreds of years has been one of the most famous flat, flat arcs in American right. literature Ahab right. doesn't change. He wants the whale at the top. He wants the whale at the end. Um, and it's every everyone else in this story, notably first mate Starbuck, who's trying to get Ahab to like change his mind, who is uh, Starbuck is the one who has the actual arc. Um, right. Uh, you know, it's 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 a very cool. Um, you know, I just thought of another one, which is weird. Uh and I just, yeah, I'm just thinking this out loud. So I want to add it to the list. Uh, the Crucible is one of my favorite oh, yeah. stories. And John Proctor is the flat arc. And mm -hmm. Reverend Hale, the guy who comes to town to try to fix him. And then by the end is like, dude, just <laughs> say you did it. It's fine. You get to live. And he's like, mm -hmm. my name. Cause he was always fucking my name. And yeah. uh, I remember when we did that play in high school we were all auditioning for it and everyone wanted Proctor. And I was like, hail. That's the guy. <laughs> Did that's you play the Hale? character. Crazy story. Not very good, but very fast. I always did this in high school. I don't know if you ever had this experience curly. So let's see, but I would go into an audition. There would be a supporting role or a Reverend Hale or a Cogsworth or whatever that I was like, that's me. <laughs> I was heavy, so I didn't think of myself as a leading guy. I was like, that's where I belong. I'm that. I'm funny, whatever. In the audition process, when we were like getting sides or whatever, something would happen and my brain would be like, I should be the fucking beast. I am John Proctor. What the like? And I would change my mind after months of knowing what I wanted. Then I would <laughs> get my heart broken when I got the thing I wanted to begin with. And so I yeah. got, I wanted Hale. I decided I want Proctor on the day. I was like, let me read for it. <laughs> I didn't get it. I got Hale. I was like, fuck. <laughs> Even that's exactly what I wanted for months. Right. Then homeboy who had Proctor, long story, got like, he quit. So I ended up playing Proctor anyway. Got a promotion. Yeah. Well, depending on how you look at it. And um, fortunately, the hail part also got cut to shit. So it wasn't that great of a gig anyway. And it was like a competition thing. And it was one of the few things where I ever like actually got awards for acting and shit like that. All because I was playing John Proctor, which I didn't even want to do in the beginning. But it, that was the only time that ever happened. I always ended up as, and I was a great Cogsworth. I never should have been the fucking beast. I can't 
do the if I can't love her song. I just can't do it. So it yeah. it's the right place for me to be is being funny, trying to get Lumiere to chill out. That's where I belong. It's okay. Did um, you have a good Lumiere? Did you have a good, uh, you know, I had a good Lumiere. That's not amazing, but pretty fucking good. He was pretty good. He was uh, more of a choir kid than a theater kid, but he uh, he had done ballet. And so he had the the vibe. <laughs> he had the arms. Oh, yeah. He had the whole like, and he was taller than me. And so, yeah, he was definitely and kind of annoying, which was perfect. <laughs> I hope he finds this podcast. Just I'll kidding. send it to him. Oh. Josh, I love you, baby. <laughs> you know, I love you. Um, but we, yeah, just a little bit annoying to where, which was perfect for me as Cogsworth. Cause it was like, I love you and we're stuck here together, but can you shut the fuck up? We have to get back to work. Um, mm-hmm. made that very easy. They have um, to break the spell. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't want to get smashed into <laughs> a million pieces. Okay. We're very little. Yeah. Um, dude, I really enjoyed talking to you. I want to talk to you like forever and ever, but I know you got to go soon and I got some stuff I got to run due to, but, um, can I get you back at some point? I would love to talk about more of your stuff. I want to talk about like kill the whale and I want to talk about, um, you know, all of it and get, get into it in more detail. I don't know. I know you're hard man to nail down, but, um, if we can get you on yeah. again sometime soon, I think that'd be great. I've been stuck in production post-ish production of, of the, I, I can album musical albums. I've been making the album to kill the whale and that's been kind of, sucking up my entire life for the last year and more than a year um but but i i do see sort of the light on at the end of the tunnel on that project so so for sure and maybe in the winter that sounds great and i tell you what man you just let me know hey i got these i got this window and it's just an hour and a half if you've got it and you don't mind chat with me in that window you let me know man we'll move some stuff around we'll make it work for you awesome Cool. Can't wait to watch this again <laughs> after having it. It's going to be good. I really appreciate yeah, yeah. it, dude. And uh, we'll have you back soon. Again, thank you very much. And uh, you're not going to do anything in this moment, but if you could play us out, that would be great. Oh, I see. Okay. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs>